Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc. I'm Pete Wright, here, as always, with... Howard Tybel. I am so excited today. You have no idea. I can hear it. I can hear it's it. Just, None of this somber, Howard. This is I mean, no, a really exciting. I, I don't. Because I, I, I'm, I'm just so excited about who we have on the show. It's just this is a first. I've been waiting for this for years. Literally years. Uh, I'm it, serious. I, I am very excited about this too. We have as a guest on our show the current acting president of the Association of Governing Boards, Rick Lagan. Rick, welcome to Navigating Change. Hey, I'm really impressed to be here, and sorry it kept it took so long to uh, to put this together. Well, hopefully this is the uh, first of many guest visits from you, Rick. We're very excited about uh, about you being here and what the topic that you represent today. Uh, we You've got a, a conference coming up in April, the National Conference on Trusteeship from April, uh, looks like April 17th through 21st in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I wonder if you could share a little bit about that uh, association meeting. What is the associ- the conference on trusteeship and, and what are the key points of the uh, of the association conference and, and what, sh- what are people going to get out of it? Yeah, Pete, thanks for uh, letting us uh, spend some time talking about it. The uh, gathering in Phoenix in April is this association's annual uh, meeting and it's a, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to uh, bring together uh, the leadership of American and even uh, some international, but uh, the leadership of colleges and universities, public institutions, independent or private institutions, two-year community colleges. Uh, And we talk about leadership. We're talking about college and university presidents and chancellors, along with uh, many, many uh, volunteer uh, members of their governing bodies. Uh, and other uh, institution uh, leaders, vice presidents, some corporate leaders, some foundation leaders. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for 12 or 1,500 uh, men and women who care a ton about uh, the challenges and their responsibilities in affecting the future of higher education and its students uh, to convene and have uh, serious but informal conversations. What are the as you as you think about uh, as you go about planning the conference? What are the the a couple just a couple of the big sort of keystone issues facing uh, facing institutional leadership as your organization sees it? Well, as we see it, but also as the community sees it, uh, Pete, uh, uh, really what we're talking about is higher education in the context of the future needs of of this country and uh, the capacity to uh, provide for an increasing number of our citizens uh, a chance at uh, 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 social equity and meaningful uh, work. Uh, making a contribution to uh, society. Uh, That's on on the side of uh, individual benefits. But uh, higher education has a larger and public purpose uh, to uh, ensure uh, economic development for states and regions and and the country as a whole, uh, to create uh, new knowledge and and new products that uh, hopefully ultimately uh, impact the market uh, in the states and, and globally, a kind of economic uh, engine, if you will. Uh, but uh, over the last uh, period of time, the last uh, six to eight years, uh, certainly driven by the uh, forces from the, uh, the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009, but other trends as well, uh, we've really uh, uh, recognized that um, uh, the challenges confronting higher education are really different uh, these days. There are uh, issues related to uh, uh, revenue and expenses uh, that impact the overall business model of our colleges and universities. Uh, 
concerns about tuition. I'll tell you, Pete, for the first time in my long career in this area, uh, something I never thought I'd say, although we were always concerned about tuition, I never really thought or expected we would hit a kind of glass ceiling, if you will, about uh, tuition and its capacity to uh, to grow or increase. But we're at that point. Yeah. Uh, so revenue is a real challenge. Uh, the allocation or the uh, uh, the expense side of institutions are a real problem, and 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 I think the biggest uh, uh, combined set of challenges, therefore, for these leaders who we will have with us, uh, has to do with how do we maintain an affordable and accessible higher education system in our public institutions and our private institutions while still maintaining the highest degree of quality and the capacity to uh, ensure that our students succeed or or complete their uh, college career two-year or four-year with a meaningful certificate or degree. Uh, Public policy leaders at state and federal levels, the corporate community, parents, alumni, students themselves, uh, while, you know, they're committed to sending their kids or going on their own uh, to a college or a university are increasingly concerned about whether or not the value proposition is what it needs to be. The product that they receive uh, has value and that it remains affordable. And we see initiatives uh, certainly at the federal level to uh, to kind of uh, stoke up uh, uh, challenges and new policies that might uh, create uh, broader opportunities for uh, for access, but uh, these are really serious issues, and uh, the program is geared to uh, 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 informal but very serious conversations around the uh, subsets of, of these big issues. Now, Howard, so Pete, you, Pete, you can see why I wanted Rick on the show. Yeah, because of it, because of the modest objectives. Uh, that, yeah. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but, but guys, we have three, four days. You know, we yeah, can solve the world's problems. That should be easy to do. Yeah. Now, Howard, you're going to yeah. be down there, and you're what is uh, you're leading a conference before the conference? Yes. What is your? Yeah, role I have there? the I have the a real pleasure to you know thanks to Rick and and some of his leadership to be doing a pre-conference workshop and. It's what's what's exciting for me about it is that at the heart of sort of the underlying uh, um, dynamics playing out right now that that Rick is referring to is this question about how do we engage with change? Change? How do we how do we shape and influence change? And what are boards' role in that? And there is no one size fits all. You know, I've learned so much from Rick over the years just about how to be thinking about this and in my own work with working with institution leaders. Uh, Part of the conversation I wanted to have with you, Rick, about this as sort of we dig a little bit into this question of change is how do we think about board's roles in this. You know, you you have, in my view, what you just framed was the really big value proposition, you know, from the national interest to the regional interest to the individual interest of getting these kids in and out of school and, and the tuition and all the constraints. And then there is the role that boards play uh, as one piece of the puzzle, but a very important piece. You know, and I'm going to be leading a session uh, that is going to be really about engaging them in a dialogue and getting them to walk away with some practical ways to go back to their institutions and 
and engage their leadership, their president, and get their presidents to, to engage their academic leaders in this question of how do we how do we jump on the things we should be doing? What are those big ideas that we should be on top of? Or are we actually doing great? But my sense, and I'm curious if you see this, is that boards have are, are unclear in many ways about how they engage in this conversation with leaders as the fiduciary and the guiding leaders of their institutions. At the same time, they are rightfully sort of removed. They are, they are not part of the infrastructure and their job is to observe and guide and, and make sure that their institutions are pointing in the right direction. So what, if you were to just top of mind, Rick, what does it mean for a board to be engaged in this conversation around change and their role in this conversation around change? What are your thoughts yeah. about that? You know, it's not easy, and that's why we've asked you to lead that conversation, Howard. So uh, uh, good luck to you. Now, it, it's, um, uh, you know, don't break anything while you're with us. <laughs> uh, but you're exactly right, uh, all seriousness. Um, just a couple of points, and, and hopefully I, I get to your, your, your questions and move us, move us along here. But first of all, I, I, perhaps the word change itself uh, we have to use it because it, people therefore understand so what we're going to be talking about in this session. But in many ways, I think the word is wrong. Uh, higher education, if you look at its 350-year history just here in, in what's now the United States and way back when was the colonial period, uh, is probably the sector of, of our society that has been historically most willing and open to change. Yes. Uh, more so than the corporate sector, other elements of the not-for-profit sector. Uh, perhaps the only parallel, and I probably we're even running ahead of that, would be healthcare. Uh, and 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 you could figure out why that would be. But uh, colleges and universities, by their nature, are probably because of the inquiry-based nature of the folks who drive the ac the academy, uh, are uh, historically open to change. What we're talking about, I think, today is to be very clear, uh, it's not so much about change, it's about asking the question about what is the value-based definition of higher education? What does it need to be? What is it? And how do we make sure that what it needs to be for the needs of this country going forward can be met? Part of it is, as I said earlier, a rethinking of the business model itself. And there's a lot of issues around that. And I touched on some of those and, and those manifest themselves differently at different institutions, but most institutions are looking at those questions. Uh, but what we're talking about, I think, is really the value proposition. What is the relationship between higher education and society? And that slice of society that a particular institution claims as relevant to its mission and its public purpose. And so is it change? Is it, is it rethinking a mission based on the value proposition of these respective institutions? I think that where boards can connect to 
the responsibility to engage in the conversation is probably more linked to the value proposition of their place as part of the overall impact of higher education and the value that they as a board bring to that conversation. A couple of months ago, this association, after a year-long study by an independent, very independent commission led by the former governor of Tennessee, issued a report of what we called the, a national commission on the future of uh, higher education board governance. And it really got to those issues. What it basically said, Howard and Pete, is that if we are going to talk about uh, the real manifest purpose of a higher education and how we retain a high quality and affordable uh, uh, educational model, then what boards need to do isn't to be reluctant to get into the issues that you're talking about, but to actually frame their structure and their work and their focus on the issues that matter. What we have in many places within boardrooms is a structure that is antiquated. It harkens back to the colonial era. If you, if you study boards and the history of governance, our boards are doing work pretty much the same way they did in the 17th century at the College of William and Mary. Just like the, just like uh, and, the faculty her, are doing the yeah. delivery of, of uh, academic programs in the way they've been doing it from, since day one. Well, uh, I, I hear you, uh, although I, I think we need to give faculty a little more credit than that. But the, 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 um, but, but I do think, uh, just to stay to your point, that for boards to, uh, uh, to get into this, even though, as you correctly say, uh, they're volunteers, they're part-timers, if you will, uh, they shouldn't be managing the place, uh, but they are accountable. They have a level of fiduciary legal standing. Uh, to oversee and to be accountable. They have a primary responsibility to be sure that the students who are admitted have successfully learned what those students were promised they learned when they were first yes. accepted. Uh, ultimately, you know, if they are responsible for the mission and the mission is academic success, then, then they own that. This report that I refer to in part says we need to throw this construct against the wall in a certain at a certain uh, figurative level and rethink how boards can reinvent themselves and their structures and their culture and their engagement to have candid conversations about the value proposition change, if you will, and some of these other challenges. Until we do that, we're going to continue to have the same conversations in the same way and come out with the same results. Yes. And I, I love where you're going with this, Rick, and it's really helpful to hear you reinforce something that, I'm always thinking about is is sort of the two sides of the coin. One side of the coin is what we do, and the other side of the coin is what outcomes we're trying to produce. And when you turn it on its head and you say, what outcomes are we trying to produce that contribute back to society or contribute back to the mission of the institution, which is basically learning and the kind of research they produce, when you say, how are we doing on that? How do we measure those outcomes? The boards are probably the only and the closest body to the institution that can ask the tough questions of senior leadership in a way not to put them in defensive, but to challenge them to be better. And one of the things that I'm reflecting on as I think about bringing these uh, board leaders and in some cases probably presidents in this conversation is I think there's a piece of understand the underlying nature of change and what does that mean? I, I think that 
These are highly competent, successful individuals who in many ways have never had to live internally in this academic environment from a delivery standpoint. Many of them, at least in the private institutions, have are, are basically trustees as former students grown up and they are now they have always been in love with their institution. They are giving back their time, treasure, and talent. And now they find themselves asking the question, why can't we move this thing forward in a way? It's so obvious, uh, the nature of change around us. So part of the conversation that I plan to have with this group to get dialogue and raise the level of awareness is around culture and around the culture that you're used to in the for-profit world that many of you live in is not the same culture that produces the kind of uh, outcomes, tremendous outcomes. Shared governance is unfortunately um, by uh, by uh, crit- crit- uh, those who critique it call it, you know, describe it in a negative way, when in fact shared governance, when it's done well, is the kind of checks and balances that produce a fantastic outcome. So culture, I think, is a is an area where board leaders have to understand more about the culture if they're going to try and influence it the right way. And I think the other piece that you spoke to, Rick, is that if they're going to produce the kind of change that they're looking for, that we need to think differently about how we're organized and how we how we actually make decisions and who do we put the table to then have the right brainstorming dialogue and then making decisions. And that, that's in the realm of a certain kind of discipline that's sometimes called design thinking. And, and I think there's a conversation there to have. But ultimately, and the last thing I'll say here that I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, is that balance between top-down decision-making and finding ways to engage the larger community. That I can tell you from many of the projects that we've been doing over the years, that the thing that beyond the vice president and the presidential level is there is hundreds and thousands of individuals who have been starving for the right and the ability to be part of the solution and to be engaged. And I think one of the big changes, hopefully, that we're going to see more of in higher education is a way to engage the community in a thoughtful, systematic way, at the same time retain the kind of decision-making, but have people feel like they're part of it because we leave so many people out of the equation uh, by not having them be part of understanding what the problem is. So to what extent can boards encourage their presidents to do this. I can tell you half the time projects that we're looking to do where is campus engagement, you have boards that say, we're not interested. Uh, let, let's have it be a top-down decision-making. And, and, I, and I think the raising their awareness level about decision-making is not just top-down, but it has to be bottom-up, can be a powerful tool to, to create positive change. Yeah, there's nothing you said that I would disagree with. Just a couple of amplifications, but only a couple, and they're only amplifications. One, you, you made a point about the fact that uh, most board members are come from successful uh, uh, fields outside of academe. Uh, there, there are some who have academic backgrounds, but few, too few to, to satisfy me. Uh, so folks from the professions and from clergy and from the corporate sector and the profession, I uh, said so the profession, so uh, men and women from outside of academe, 
the upside of that is that in many ways uh, they are perhaps the underutilized best advocates for the institution back to the general public because mm. these folks these folks come they're outsiders uh, uh, who who are part of the internal community of decision making in our colleges and, and universities and while folks instinctively know that that's what is so unique and and sometimes frustrating and sometimes beneficial to the old to our entire governance system it is an element that is too often overlooked and and to the extent that we can help boards and institutions uh and especially institution leaders uh prepare volunteers board members to be the storytellers Mm, about the value of their institutions to some of these external audiences. They may never be as articulate as an administrator or a faculty member who, who, for whom the institution is their lifeblood. They think about it 24-7. But they may be more persuasive uh, as a storyteller about the upside value of a higher education and the work of a particular institution and its commitment to add value and change, whatever the words uh, might be uh, utilized. I'm a big proponent that one of the things boards should do is bring in a consultant uh, who could train them in the art of storytelling, which is mm. an art. Uh, but we ought, to, we ought to think of that, take advantage of that which is attendant naturally to the makeup of most of our boards, and that is they come from the general public. So that's one. I, Two, I, I couldn't agree yeah. more about the top-down uh, concern uh, that, that you raised. I think whether it's top-down in an institution or top-down, uh, as we've seen uh, in the, a number of instances over the last few years, of a board that basically said, wait a minute, change isn't that hard we do it in the corporate sector you know overnight right. uh, we're not going to uh, we're not going to accept the uh, pace of uh, uh, over uh, over uh, deliberation uh, these changes are too uh, uh, too essential and for us to compete and keep up and grow and, and do what we have to do we are just mandating these changes and everybody fall in line that doesn't work uh, because it is uh, an industry of multi-stakeholder interests, right. and boards cannot come in and be um, uh, naive, uh, quite candidly, about how these places work. Are they frustrating? To a fault. Uh, but is it uh, part of the heritage of the tradition that uh, uh, we, we still have to value? You talked about shared governance. Uh, indeed. And so top-down uh, isn't good, whether it's internally driven or vis-a-vis uh, -vis the board, uh, externally driven. Not, not smart. The loyalty thing that you raised is an interesting point uh, where you spoke, uh, Howard, correctly about uh, a lot of trustees out there, probably the preponderant number of them. Keep in mind that uh, out of 50,000 men and women who serve on boards, uh, 40,000 of them serve on the boards of private institutions, which tend to be large boards in places with not that many students. And we have 10,000 of the 50 who serve on the boards of public uh, campus governing boards or system boards, uh, where in fact 80% of our students are enrolled. So it's a right. flip of size versus impact. Yes. <clears throat> the, uh, the individuals who tend to serve, the, the, that 80% or 40,000 board members who serve private or independent colleges and universities, uh, many of those folks are, are alums, alumni, alumna. 
uh, and and do have this um, just this passion and recall about how life was when they were there. Right. Uh, sometimes the fog of memory uh, reinterprets it a little bit, uh, and and sometimes it's a bit dated. But their commitment and their passion for their institution is oftentimes without question. Sometimes it becomes a roadblock to change, if you will, but their commitment is there. On the public side, where those other 10,000 people serve 80 percent of our students, uh, th that natural link isn't necessarily in place. Keep in mind that the vast number of those individuals serving on public boards uh, arrive at their seat through some political process. The governor appoints them, the governor appoints them, and the legislature approves them. In three states, they're actually elected statewide. Community college board members are elected in many places through district elections. And so uh, for a substantial number of them, there are exceptions, but for a substantial number of those public board members, uh, that commitment off of a natural link to the institution is not quite as strong or as in place as it is in our private colleges and universities. And so they're serving for different purposes and no less of value if they do it right. Uh, their commitment is uh, to a public purpose. Their commitment is often to state needs. Their commitment is to uh, sometimes to, to, to uh, carry out the urgings around a higher education agenda of, of an active governor, and then, then, then that could have upsides or downside results. But, but those folks have a different degree of connection often uh, to their institution than their uh, private sector colleagues. So, um, I, again, I tend to agree with your points, but there are nuances within them. Oh, I, loved, I love how you, you know, I was being a little more absolute, uh, knowing, by the way, that you were going to sort of bring some nuance to this, uh, because <laughs> we, could, we could end up, you know, we could spend so much time to try and sort of make sure that everybody feels taken care of in the conversation, when in fact, I have no intention of suggesting that any one member of leadership in these shared governance worlds is responsible for success or failure. As a matter of fact, they all have to look at themselves and say, what could we be doing better? But I want to end with one final question, Rick, for, for this podcast for you. And that is, when you look out into the future, the next maybe three years, what would you say you are most optimistic about? You know, I've spent so much time in, in the recent past worrying about issues that I'm not optimistic about. Right. And I have to flip, but it's a wonderful question. Um, I, I, I think what I'm most optimistic about is the fact that we do have a chance uh, to, um, to reclaim the public's trust if we're smart about it and if we can reclaim higher education's ability to be its own voice in defining what we are, what we do, what we care about, what our value is and the values that we add to society. And it's not that hard to do that, by the way. But if we recognize that over the last six, eight, ten years, uh, our voice has been ceded to others who have chosen to define us as they might, if we, in a concerted way, and, and this association, but we're not alone, but this association is committed uh, to reclaiming that voice, uh, then I think we could begin to change the conversation uh, about higher education, perhaps get a renewed or re reinvigorated uh, through a, a reclaiming of the public support, uh, investment in our work 
it, it, it's far easier to do important work when the folks for whom you are doing it are more mutually supportive than sharing constant doubt. And so I think that's what I'm uh, optimistic about and, and focused on. I will say one more thing about boards and their work, though, specifically, and that is, and I was mentioning it to a, a colleague uh, here today in our offices that, who's fairly new to our work. I was reminding him that when you see one board of an institution, you're really seeing one board. Uh, they're all different. Uh, they they have similar responsibilities, but seeing one is merely seeing one. And it is important for all of us who work in a group setting, uh, to realize the distinctions, even though fiduciary responsibilities are connecting tissue. So I just wanted to add that. I, that is a, a wonderful way to end. You have said some things that really strike me, uh, Rick, this whole idea about the paradox of change in higher education. But to your last point, the incredible challenge uh, that you to, to undergo reinventing the board when the board is just one board. Uh, that is a, that's an, a, a fascinating and, and uh, daunting challenge uh, that faces you. And it illustrates why it is so important, uh, so important to go to the National Conference on Trusteeship in Arizona. Sunny, sunny Phoenix, Arizona. The Waldorf Astoria Resort, the Arizona Biltmore. It's a very nice hotel. It uh, is indeed. I uh, hope everybody comes. Everybody should come. To find out more about this event in particular, uh, wh what do you recommend? AGB.org? AGB.org, and uh, that should get them all the information they need. And uh, if they need more, give us a call, and we will be responsive. Wonderful. Rick Lagan, president of the Association for Governing Boards, thank you so much for joining us today on Navigating Change. Thanks for including me. Uh, Howard, uh, thank you so much for your time and wisdom, as always, my friend. Well, I'll tell you, I just Rick, I want to thank you too because I've I've been wanting this for a very long time, and you're 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 both uh, an important colleague and a friend. So so thank you for taking the time to do this. I I always I, I learn so much from you when when we talk, and uh, so so I I just feel I feel great. I, so that's it. Well, you have our you know you have our respect as well, Howard. So thanks for being a part of the meeting and including me in this discussion. To find out more about this show, head over to tybelink.com. You can subscribe to the show for free in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, jump on and ask Howard some questions at Howard Tybel on Twitter, or you can you can just send us an email right there on the site. I'm at Pete Wright on the Twitter. Would love to hear from you as well. On behalf of Howard Tybel again and Rick Lagan, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change the podcast from Tybalink. Link.